Hello again, everybody, and welcome back into the Keith Costas podcast, starring, of course, Keith Costas, MLB Network Analyst. I'm Bob Ramsey, and we're really glad you're with us today. And um, Keith, as we uh, jump into today's show, there's a bunch of fun stuff to talk about. June get, always gets us into the heart of the season. It seems like every year there's something really special going on. And um, as we get into it this year, along with uh, pennant races sort of taking shape and getting a real form of who's good and who's not, this Shohei Otani story um, keeps getting better. And and I don't know when it's going to stop, but the Shohei graph keeps climbing. Yeah, absolutely, Rammer. And the timing just couldn't be any better. You know, you talked about June getting into the meat of the season. People really start locking in that we can, you know, we can take some of the things that are happening as fact at this point. We've got a big enough sample. And with him rolling into Yankee Stadium about two weeks before the All-Star game, I mean, the timing just couldn't be any better. We had the game on Monday night on MLB Network, and it's just unbelievable watching this guy. You know, obviously, I try and keep track of the whole league, watch a couple games every night, usually flipping around. But Sunday was the first time in a few weeks that I've really locked in and watched the good majority of an Angels game. And man, was that a good time to watch Otani. So he comes up just short of the cycle. He walks, steals a base, scores after getting on base that time. RBI double, RBI triple, home run off a left-hander on an inside pitch that he hits to left field about 400 feet. I mean, people just don't do that kind of stuff. Then he steps in the box in our first at bat in our game on Monday night. And what does he do? He hits a 117 mile an hour home run over the short porch that would have blasted through the wall if it was as high as the green monster. It was hit so hard. So just unbelievable to watch this guy. I've got the numbers right in front of me, Rammer. Last 16 hits, 11 homers, two RBI doubles, an RBI triple, and the only extra base hits were two bunt singles. So try and shift on him and he'll drop one down on you and run just about as fast as anybody in the American league. So it's really been unreal to watch this guy. And, you know, you talk about the New York aspect of it. This guy broke the Yankees hearts. You go back and look at how things played out in that off season. And it was the day after Otani signed with the angels that they went ahead and pulled the trigger on the Stanton deal, which hasn't exactly worked out quite as well as the Otani deal in Los Angeles has. So the Yankees would have loved to have this guy aiming at that short porch, you know, every night in their stadium, he ends up on the other coast. And now they're on the receiving end of it this week with three homers already in the series. And no, oh, by the way, he'll get on the mound tonight and see what he can do there. There are so many things to uh, dive into with Otani because he can do so many things. Um, what does the, uh, uh, the analysis say when you talk about him, A, historically, but B, why he's able to do this? You already mentioned um, the exit velocity. Tell me some of the mm-hmm. other numbers and some of the things you um, analysts are seeing. Well, I thought one of the really interesting things about him, because the Yankees are stacked with left-handers in their bullpen, so just getting ready for this series and our game the other night in particular, you know, how does he how does he match up? How do teams try to attack him? There is no way to attack this guy. He's slugging 600 against lefties, 600 against righties, and you look at the last handful of players to do that. There were a couple guys last year, Soto, Luke Voigt, but that's kind of a different yeah. circumstance in yeah. the shortened season. So you look at the last three to do that before him, it's Mookie Betts, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols. So three batting champions that are about as advanced as it gets as a hitter. I think we have this perception of Otani because he's so uniquely talented that he just kind of rolls out of bed and lets the talent take over. But this is a guy that doesn't have any holes in his swings. He'll hit outside pitches. He'll hit inside pitches. He'll hit fastballs. He'll hit breaking balls. I think he hit a homer on a higher pitch than anybody's that anybody has hit a home run on this season. So try and climb the ladder on him. He'll swing 
yeah, he'll swing up at his at his eyes or shoulders and and with power too. So he has incredible strike zone coverage. Uh, Joe Madden, we talked to him before the game. We get the chance to chat with these managers before we do these games, and he. He used a term I'd never heard. I mean, you talk about strike zone discipline or controlling the strike zone. He said he has a very organized strike zone, which I thought was an interesting way of Hmm. putting it. Just a guy who really has an idea of what he's doing in the box. So, you know, on the hitting side, it's really impressive. And then the pitching side, he did the game with John Smoltz, was our analyst on Monday. And Smoltz is convinced that if this guy just focused on pitching, I mean, he said it. And this is high praise coming from a guy like John. He thinks that he could be as good as Jacob deGrom if he just focused on pitching. So the numbers are already impressive enough as is, but you think about what this guy could do if he just picked a lane and it's pretty intriguing, but you see what he's doing, driving both cars in both lanes at the same time. And it's hard to kind of tell him, hey, maybe you should focus on one or the other. They're getting pretty good value both ways right now. And as the game is changing, and I love John Smoltz, by the way, I think he's as good an analyst as there is in the game maybe ever. He's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I wonder if that those thoughts about Otani um, are too old school and the game yeah. has changed. Um, I promise you, maybe not Smoltz specifically, but guys like him pitched, hit fourth, played shortstop, also caught, did all those things until somewhere along the way, some brainiac, high school coach, college coach, pro, Nope, you're pitcher only now. Why? Yeah, yeah. I don't I'm know that, that old school thinking holds up. It may, it may not hold up. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, from just a Cardinals perspective, they've got the young kid Mason Wynn, who they're going to at least give a shot to do both in the early going shortstop and a high octane pitcher. Maybe you use him in the back end of the bullpen. Who knows? He's years away from the major leagues. But staying on that Cardinals theme, really the only comparable that we have, it's pretty obvious. Ricky and Keel, at least since world war ii there were a couple guys post ruth that kind of dabbled in both maybe pitched a little early in their career and then developed into hitters actually george sisler a hall of famer he had about 150 innings pitched back in the early part of the 20th century so it's not like ruth is the only guy that's ever done it but the last 70 80 years and keel obviously is the closest comparison i thought this was interesting otani four seasons now let me get over to these numbers so i can quote them accurately but four seasons for otani doing both you kind of cherry pick what Rick did. Look at the first two seasons that he got in the league when he was pitching only his first two seasons as a hitter only. And I was shocked. The numbers, I'm not saying he's as good as Otani. Otani might be the best player in the game right now, but just statistically Ankiel in those two seasons, three, four, six ERA Otani so far, three, four, three ERA. Then you look wow. on the hitting side, Ankiel 270 average, Otani 271, Ankiel, and this surprised me. I know he had power, and I remember the 20 homer seasons when he first got up, but 16.2 at bats per home run, Otani 15.5. So it's actually pretty mm-hmm. close, the talent that Rick showed on the mound and as a hitter, but obviously not doing it at the same time as a, as a gigantic, yes. More, yes. more than just a footnote here. Obviously very impressive, but in my opinion, I don't know about you, Rammer, every casual baseball fan even is familiar, I think, with the Ricky and Keel story, and I never thought that people really understood just how impressive it was that he could do both, and the idea that less than a decade later, a guy rolls around that does both at the same time and is living up to these massive expectations, I mean, as amazing as the Ankiel story was, there was no expectation for him to do anything when he came back up. I'm not saying that made it easy, but there, he was not facing the pressure that this guy is to produce. And he's basically, you know, it's kind of a LeBron James situation. He's come over. It might've taken him a little while to get going, but he's basically lived up to this almost unattainable hype. And it's been pretty impressive to see it all come together now. 
It's been very impressive. And um, uh, Rick Ankeel has a, a autobiography out. It is to tell his, that tells his side of the story. And um, uh, it's exciting. Uh, it's fulfilling, tragic, and heartbreaking all at the same time. People should look into that. Uh, the, uh, uh, Shohei Otani has a long way to go before probably he's going to write a book. But um, he is in unprecedented territory, even when you go back and talk about Ruth. Um, he was basically a pitcher only and then basically became a hitter only. And, and yeah. so Otani really is unique in his track that he's on. Absolutely unique. And it's one of the things that makes him so intriguing. Yeah, and he wants to do it. I mean, who knows what the circumstances were way back when. It was obviously a much different game. Ruth was pitching before what they call the live ball era. So obviously just a, yeah. an apples to oranges comparison. But you hit it, Rammer. He really – I think there's a perception that he had a much longer stretch than he did. Ruth, I'm talking about, as an actual two-way player. It was really only about a 200-game stretch where he was doing both That's on both. a full-time basis. Yeah. yeah and he ta- and he, he himself was the one who tapped out and said, you know, this is – it's too much to handle. I want to focus on just hitting, which I think in hindsight was probably a good decision for the babe. But Otani, at least for the time being, I mean, it's a billion degrees up here in New York this week. He's played each of the last two nights. He's going to pitch tonight, and he's going to hit by his decision. I mean, we're talking about a huge workload, and this guy has completely embraced it. And I know I mentioned it briefly earlier, but it's not just hitting and pitching. He's he's literally one of the fastest players in the majors and a really aggressive Amazing. and an impactful base runner. And that's what Aaron Boone talked about before the game we did on Monday. He said, you know, you, it's hard to pitch around this guy because he can completely wreck a game on the base pass. I mean, he will steal first. I mean, he'll steal second. He'll steal third. He'll go first to third. So he's not exactly like a guy, you know, it's kind of a light hitting lineup with the Angels, especially with Trout out. It's not like he's a guy you can just pitch around. They've got some contact guys in that lineup that can do some things, hit and run, put the ball in play, and let Otani use his wheels. So he's truly a five-tool player. I mean, I guess a six-tool player, eight-tool player, if you want to lump in all the different things he does on the mound. So, yeah, completely unprecedented. So, Keith, let's take a look at Otani and how it ties into this other story. And I hearken back to 98 and Sosa McGuire uh, because Sammy didn't get off to the start that uh, that McGuire and actually Griffey got off to back then in 98. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be there covering it all. Sammy started to go nuts in June. We see Schwarber and Otani both going crazy. Those numbers are mind-boggling, aren't they? Yeah, how about Schwarber? I mean, a little bit overshadowed by Otani on the national scale maybe, but the run that he's on has been absolutely incredible, and I think it's kind of interesting that it coincides with – Davey Martinez moving him up to the leadoff spot in the Absolutely. order, which, you know, maybe takes a little pressure off him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what? Who? first of all, it's tough to pitch around the first batter of the game. So this guy's going to see some pitches to hit. You can tell yourself all you want. I mean, he's literally in the last couple of weeks on about 125 homer pace. You projected over a full season. So it's not like this guy's catching anybody by surprise. But, no. you know, he steps into the box. You don't want to put the first runner of the game on base, I think there's just a psychological component of this. And a lot of the analysts we have at MLB Network that pitch in the big leagues have talked about this. It's hard for a pitcher to go out there and be careful right from the jump. It kind of sets a tough tone for the whole inning when you've got that kind of damage potential at the top. And he is just on another planet right now. So, yeah, the Nationals right back in the thick of the race, too, by the way. Don't look now, but they're only about three games behind the Mets, hearkening back to the 2019 season when they looked dead in the water and 
fast forward four or five months and they end up winning the World Series. So there's a lot of interesting things about this, not the least of which is what does this do for Max Scherzer now, who we've all been talking about for the last six to eight weeks? Like, where is he going to get traded? I mean, it's just a foregone conclusion in most people's minds that they should trade him. It's just a matter of whether or not they will. But now all of a sudden, they're right yeah. back in the mix with with plenty yeah. of time for things to change between now and the deadline. So it's funny how quickly that kind of narrative changes. I mean, it's hard to imagine them trading Scherzer now. Strasburg is progressing well. He'll be back sooner rather than later. The lineup's clicking with this new kind of new kind of look at the top. So yeah, Kyle Schwarber, a guy who was uh, non-tendered and basically picked up for what he was going to get in arbitration. Imagine that a team just looked at a big league player and said, "We'll pay you what you're worth. You've got a track record." Instead of trying to cobble it together with uh, with some younger guys mixing and matching, playing the numbers and. Props to the Nationals for going out and getting Josh Bell, getting Schwarber. By the way, Brad Hand has been great for them, another guy who got non-tendered after leading the majors in saves. So I think you and I talked about this a couple months ago, but Mike Rizzo is kind of zigging while the rest of the league zagging in terms <laughs> of investing more in proven track record as opposed to looking to squeeze every last bit of value out of every signing that they make. And, you know, as, a, as an unbiased observer of that team, it's kind of refreshing to see that approach. You know, I'm going to go off script a little bit here and, and ask you and, and to, to talk to all your uh, compadres at MLB Network and talk about, because we mentioned earlier in the show about the game changing. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to go back even but a few years, but I think about what I call the golden age, post-World War II up through 1968. Can you imagine somebody telling Ralph Kiner or Ted Klazuski or Frank Robinson or <laughs> Willie McCovey, we're going to lead you off. It yeah. would you'd, yeah. you'd be fired. It would be an, it, it would be insane. You know, Tony La Russa a few years ago, it, it's probably not completely accurate, but I give him credit for sort of changing the way we looked at the two hole. He called it quoting danger in the two hole. Cause it yeah. used to be old school. You'd have a guy that didn't strike out, would take pitches, move the runner along. That was the classic two-hole hitter. Well, probably starting in the juiced era, moving forward, having a guy with real pop, Tony's danger in the two-hole became a thing. Are we now saying you got to have your best hitters one and two? Is it really changed? It 50 years ago was three and four. Is it now one and two? Does that make sense? And I'd like the you um, analysts – who really look at it has, is the game really changing to that? Yeah, I definitely think it is. And I'm glad you brought up Tony because in my ongoing quest to remind my more skeptical colleagues that LaRusso was at way ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff. I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, Oh, four with Larry Walker. Oh, six, Chris Duncan, who I don't think people remember what kind of power Dunk had hitting Crazy. out of that two hole. Tony was way ahead of the curve on that, but yeah, you're dead on Rammer. I think you look at, you look at all the instances of guys who got substantial time in the leadoff spot. I, I looked at 100 games that slugged 500 or better in 100-plus games in the leadoff spot. About a quarter of them in the history of baseball are in the last five years. I mean, it's commonplace now. In the last full season in 2019, there were about a dozen of them that had 100-plus at-bats and were hitting for real all-star level power at the top of the lineup. I mean, you look at a team like Toronto. They went out and spent a ton of money on George Springer. They got a powerful lineup. They didn't pay him to hit in the middle of the lineup and clean things up. They they paid him to hit leadoff homers, you know, set the table by working walks because people are scared of that power at the top of the lineup. So, yeah, you're dead on. And, you know, just to circle back to Schwarber in the national situation, take it a step further. They have the classic leadoff hitter who's hitting two for them. I mean, the idea that 
someone like Trey Turner could be the fastest player in the league and a 300 plus hitter. And you'd think about hitting him anywhere other than the top of the lineup. And you'd have this lumbering linebacker swinging for the fences, hitting in front of him would be even 10 years ago, forget about 50 would be hard to fathom, but that's what they've done there in DC. And it's working for them as they've turned things around the last, I think they've won 13 of the last 16. It's really clicking offensively for them. I am absolutely a lineup nerd. I wear that badge (laughs) proudly. And I'm wondering if all the concepts that I've thought about since I was a kid are really out the window. And and maybe uh, looking back in history that they kind of had it wrong all along. Get the best guys the most at bats. Uh, You can run anywhere. And maybe we're learning if you're going to run, you can do it anywhere in the lineup. If you're going to hit home runs, you might as well get the most opportunities to those guys the most often. Um, I think I think this this metamorphosis is fascinating. I really do. And I can't wait to see um, uh, your book on it when it comes out. <laughs> I don't know if I've got 300 pages in me, but I got a few thoughts, <laughs> I guess, that we can try and tie together at some point. But I'll turn it back around on you, Rammer, then with, uh, with you being a self-proclaimed lineup nerd and kind of the conversation we're having what do you think of what the Cardinals are doing with their lineup right now? Cause I, I know that, uh, I know that Carlson was back in the two hole last night, but I kind of thought from the outset of the season that the only sure things in the lineup were that Carlson Goldschmidt and Arenado were going to be your three best hitters. I know O'Neill's in that mix now too, but I don't know if there's a great solution for the Cardinals. So I'm on board with just putting those three at the top and seeing how things go. Where do you come down on that? You know, even a month ago, I might not have thought that, but, you know, you try to always keep an open mind and learn and learn about the game. And and you don't want to, if, as you make your lineups, you don't want to chase the statistics because right. then you'll always be behind. However, Arenado has got to hit no lower than third with the way mm-hmm. things are going now. Carlson has the on-base percentage to be in the top three. So then who's the other guy? Is it Goldschmidt? Yeah. Is it O'Neill? O'Neill's cooled off just a little bit, but maybe you do drop Goldschmidt down to fourth. Um, again, you don't want to overreact and you don't want to chase, but uh, I think Arnato's got to be in the top three along with Carlson and then maybe mix and match a little bit um, because uh, Tommy Edmond doesn't draw the walks of the so-called traditional leadoff man. So I think the Cardinals, especially because they're not winning, Maybe they need to step back and say, okay, we're thinking out of the box now. Let's let's give our best guys slashed hottest guys the most opportunities and, and give it a run. I think at the position the Cardinals are in right now in the standings, they need to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I know when Edmund's going well that he's a good option at the top of the lineup. Yeah. But if he's not getting a bunch of hits, he's just not going to get on base enough. So he's a guy right. that makes a ton of contact. So I kind of like him down there you know, sixth, seventh is more of a line mover that you know is not going to strike out. And at least if you got something going in the second half of the lineup, he's going to move a runner or maybe make a productive out of some kind. He's not going to strike out. That's the big thing. So, yeah, I mean, not they don't have a tailor-made group where there's a lot of guys that make sense in a lot of spots. That was kind of my token line going into the season about Edmund was I don't think it's a great – great situation when you're not sure if your leadoff hitter is your seven or eight hitter, or if he's your leadoff hitter, and that's kind of <laughs> the, sp- the spot they're in right now. So that's right. yeah, Carlson, Carlson somewhere at the top, Arenado somewhere at the top and get creative after that, I guess. Hey, I know it's, I know we're a week away, but um, 
Talk about uh, MLB Network and the All-Star Game, what you're looking forward to, uh, and let's let's talk about what you guys are going to be doing regarding the Midsummer Classic. Yeah, so we'll be out there all week, obviously, bringing all our shows out there, which is nice. It's going to be the first time that we're all kind of together on the road in quite a while now. We're used to, you know, bringing the whole band on the road for the World Series and the All-Star Game and everything. So back to some sense of normalcy, which will be which will be fun. But kind of kicking things off on Sunday with the Futures game. They just released the rosters earlier today on Wednesday, and you've got the two Cardinals you'd expect in there with Libertor and Gorman. And I think they've made some changes recently to the game. They've shortened it from nine innings to seven innings in the Futures game. Makes it a little more watchable. It's not – you know, it's one yeah. thing when it's the All-Star game and it's a parade of superstar players, but when it's a parade of – unknown prospects unless you're following you know it's the guys from the team that you follow or you're a real prospect guru they're kind of nameless guys so shorten it up to seven innings makes it a much more watchable game but I love the futures game I think it's a great event and it should be fun for Cardinals fans to get a chance to see Libertor and Gorman I mean I know it's not hard hard in 2021 to find video of these guys but it's a little different when you see them in a big league park with real quality video you can watch the whole at-bats not just the highlights so I can't wait to watch these guys pitch I wasn't sure exactly what the situation will be with Libertor with his schedule being involved in the Olympic situation, but he's going to be out there. So should be fun. And then you, you know, you look forward to Tuesday and we hit on this a couple weeks ago, but now that we're a little closer to the day, we can actually say with some certainty, we know who the finalists are in the voting. It is a crop of new faces. It's only about half of those finalists in the voting that have been to the all-star game before. And some of the biggest stars are going to be there for the first time. We talked about Otani, you know, Tatis, this is going to be his first All-Star game. Right. Ronald Acuna has only been there once before. Vlad Jr., he's been in the home run derby, but not in the game itself. So he'll be there for the first time. Soto is having a little bit of a down year, but he could be there for the first time. So with the way things played out last year and some of those guys getting called up kind of midway through 19 or being nicked up in Otani's case, this is kind of a coming out party for this new generation that we're seeing, the kind of the youth takeover that we've had the last couple of years. But this feels like it's going to be, sort of an arrival party for that group to all be on a big stage together for the first time. So it should be a lot of fun. And then Monday, I don't want to skip over that, the home run derby, you know, what could you ask for more at Coors Field? It should be fun to see some of these numbers come out. It's not going to be some guy in the press box, you know, measuring, well, that looks like it's 20 rows up from that seat we measured off. You're actually going to know how far these home runs have gone with StatCast and, Will we see someone, you know, in the 550-ish range? Maybe Otani out there in the thin air? I don't know. It should be a great show, though, on Monday night. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. If you're sitting anywhere in the outfield, even in the rock pile way out there, you might get a home run ball during the derby. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And with Otani, they might need to think about some netting out in right field just for the safety (laughs) of the public. Keith, I enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to be looking forward to all the MLB Network coverage for the All-Star Game coming up next week. And uh, when we visit, we'll have a lot more to talk about the unofficial halfway mark of the season, and we'll see what's going on there. Keith, have a great trip to Denver, and we'll talk next week. Absolutely. See you, Rammer.